Amen. The Lord willing, this morning uh, will be the last message uh, that I'm going to preach on the glory of the Lord. And um, like I mentioned last week, we're going to start on a low note and hopefully end on a high note. Uh, Because you can't really, when it comes to Scripture, you can't leave out some of the things that are challenges to us for the sake of always wanting to be encouraged. Uh, I realize that we all want to be encouraged, and it is my aim today to encourage you. But it's also my aim today to challenge you that if there is any part of your life that you know has become a hindrance to the glory of God, that it's on you and nobody else to say, Lord, I need you to come with your glory and change my life. We can often look at other people and we can blame others for everything that they have done. Uh, And I know that we can look around our situations and say, well, the glory of God does not come because of this. But in the end, you alone will stand before God one day and you will give an account of you. Uh, This is completely off in terms of the mark, in terms of the message that I'm going to preach. I just, I will share this, just it has been, this verse of Scripture has been a challenge to me uh, as as a minister, as a man, as a person, but I keep going to this Scripture in my mind, it keeps coming to me seemingly, uh, not on a daily basis, but almost weekly, where Paul says, let each one be careful how he builds. In other words, you and as a pastor, I certainly am accountable for a great deal more than just myself. But if we don't pay attention to ourselves, if we don't pay attention to how we are building our lives, then we can become so focused on what other people are doing that we forget that God desires to come and to dwell in us. That And, and really the whole point of this the short series of messages on the glory of God has been to, to help us to understand that the glory of God was something that God desired to show the people in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament that when the Holy Spirit descended upon those disciples and believers uh, in that day that He descended upon them so that the glory of God could be seen in the world and the glory of God could be seen in and through their lives. I believe with all my heart that He desires to dwell, not just in our services, but He desires to dwell in our daily lives. That there is uh, something that we can reach out for that is more than what we have and more than what we have experienced, and we can take hold of His presence This is not trying to be mystical. This is just saying God is absolutely real. He desires to touch us. He desires to minister to us and to be an agent of His grace and mercy in the world. It's going to take the glory of God in our lives. So that having been said, let's let's head for the low note first, shall we? And we'll work our way up the keys and we'll get to some higher notes by the end of this message, I promise you. But the low notes sometimes help us to appreciate the higher ones. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. And uh, I want to read I want to read a passage of Scripture. In fact, we'll back up a little bit. We're going to touch on uh, pretty much all of these at one point or another in the earlier part of 1 Samuel. 
but I think what we're going to do is we're just going to start reading at verse 1 so that we get some kind of a context of what it is that is, is being talked about when we arrive at this. And Israel at this point is, they're toward the end of their history of judges that ruled the land, that were over the people. They are sort of toward the end of what was going on, but uh, as far as those individuals who were not kings... They had no king as of yet. They were going to, a few chapters later in Samuel, they're going to clamor for a king. They want to be like other nations. They want to be like other people. But we've already seen them in the book of Judges and in Ruth and, and Samuel, all of that sort of around the same time period, same history, that as they are looking around into other nations, they are being like other nations. They're following their gods. They're going after foreign idols. They're doing all of that. And We know the vicious cycle of judges that took place. And we're here now at this particular point. There was a priest who also seemingly served as a judge by the name of Eli. Eli was a man who was weak morally. He was weak spiritually. He maybe loved God. We we don't really get a sense of his understanding. We seem to understand a little bit about his, his, his concept of God, his concept of how God speaks, we see the boy Samuel earlier in these chapters in the, the temple with him. And Samuel thinks, you know, Eli is calling him. Eli understands it's the voice of God. So there was some sense of, of, of spirituality in this man. But he had a problem. His problem was he didn't direct his sons, who were also priests, to follow God. The Bible lets us know about that family, that that family was a family who was doing their own thing. And as priests, there's another scripture in the Bible that says that as the priests go, so go the people, essentially. And, And that is what was taking place. The priests were morally corrupt, and therefore the people were morally corrupt. Nobody was pointing anyone to God. Nobody was pointing anybody. They got so far off track that now we pick up in chapter 4, starting at verse 1, the Bible says, And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord, it's an amazing thing, when you are morally uh, gone your own way, when you you are morally corrupt, the blaming of God continually happens. Listen to what it says. Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Now look at this. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hands of our enemies. The NIV, I'm reading from the NIV, but do you notice something that is sort of conspicuous by its absence? And it is a personal pronoun. And it is that He would save us. They didn't say that. They said, let's bring up the ark. The ark was nothing more than a box that symbolized 
the presence of God. It was known as, in the scripture, as the mercy seat. There were, it was overlaid with gold. It was made of a certain type of wood. There were cherubim on the top. It was wings stretched across it and, and touched together that were made of gold. And But to Israel, all of a sudden now, when you are morally corrupt, you are placing your trust in icons, in things that aren't even real. You place your trust in things around you rather than in God. And that's exactly what they were doing. The Bible says here that they, they said these words so that it may go with us and save us from the hands of our enemies. Let's read on. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as you have seen, have, have been, or as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought. Listen to this. And the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured. And Eli's two sons, those morally corrupt priests, died. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on the chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes were set so he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I have fled from it. This very day, Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army had su has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died for he was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. Now, this is where we really get to in the terms of the heart of the glory of God. The title of this message today is The Glory of God Departed. The Glory of God Departed. The Bible says this, His, Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant. And near the time of delivery... 
when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the women attending her said, don't despair, you've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband, she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. There was that pervading idea or thought in her mind and in the mind of so many people that because the ark of God was gone, so was the glory. Now there is an element of truth in this, and yet there is part of this that is not necessarily the case. Simply because we know that God is always everywhere present. But the fact remained that God chose not to manifest His glory on behalf of Israel on that day because they followed their own corrupt ways. They went after their own ideas. They went after their own thoughts. They did what they wanted to do, which leads us to the first point of this message, why the glory of God departed. The glory of God departed from Israel for one basic and simple reason. It was this. He chose not to manifest his presence and his power over the Philistines like what he would eventually do with David who was a man after God's own heart because the people went after other gods. In fact, let me read this to you. I know we just read a lot of scripture but if we don't anchor ourselves in Scripture, what do we have, really? The Bible says this in Psalm 106 and verse 20. It says, they exchanged the, their glory. That word glory in the NIV is actually capitalized, meaning it talks, it's, it's referring to God himself for an image of a bull which eats grass. Imagine that. Isaiah the prophet was known for essentially mocking the people on one occasion in one of his prophecies talking about how their gods, the gods that they were after, were no gods at all. They were stone, they were wood, they were fashioned by the hands of a man. He said it's silly to do that. It's silly to go after things that cannot satisfy you. It's silly to go after and exchange the glory of God, God's greatness, God's power, God's glory in your life for things that can do absolutely nothing for you. If there is anything that the world is recognizing or at least understanding, it's that the things that they chase after don't actually satisfy. The things that they have don't actually, you know, aren't actually, you, you know, think about it. You know, you walk into Best Buy, right? Which I do on occasion. I, not that I walk out with anything. I just, I like to walk in there and I dream a little bit. But it's the materialistic part of me that goes in there. You know, because... We live in the day and age. Remember, everybody remember the big fat TVs, the, you know, the, the tube TVs, right? You can't buy one of those to save your life. They're gone. Oh, the flat screen. Remember when the flat screens were coming out? Oh, everybody wanted a flat screen. Now it's, you have to buy a flat screen because that's all you can get. You can't get the little tubes anymore. So 
you go in and you see the flat screens and they're lovely. But you look at the 32-inch. I haven't been into Best Buy lately, by the way, so I don't really know what sizes are there. But I think the last time I was in, I saw somewhere in the vicinity of, I think they were pushing at like 60 or 72-inch screen TV. And it's probably bigger now. There's larger. But, you know, you, you thought you were really getting something huge when you got a 42-incher. All of a sudden now you walk in and you're like, 60 inches of viewing pleasure on the wall. I have 42. Eh, it's not so good anymore. I, I want that. But what happens when you get that and Sony or Samsung or somebody comes out with 100 inches? You know, you probably don't even have 100 inches of wall. You're like, I can fit this ginormous thing into my place. You see, it speaks to our materialistic, let me go after things, let me go after those things. You know, I know we don't, in our, at least in our society, for the most part, we don't worship gods that are made of you know, stone. We don't fashion little faces or do anything like that. But you know what we do? We worship other things. We put those things in front of God. We exchange the glory of God for some of the things in the world that will never, ever satisfy. It won't do it because the fact that you've got to get something better than what you got and you get bored with what you have, trust me, folks, it didn't satisfy. If it did, you wouldn't worry about it. So we're, we're looking at all of these things, and they're going after other gods. And the Bible says that they exchanged the glory of, of God for those things that were idols. Listen, the Bible lets us know this. Uh, let's go over. In fact, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 2, and we're going to get down to verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 11. And look at what Jeremiah says. He says, has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet, they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for, listen to this, worthless idols. Worthless stuff. Junk. Absolute junk. You have exchanged something of eternal value, he says, for things that have no life, that have no breath, that have no strength. He says, can you really change God's? Well, he says, my people have done that. They have managed somehow to do that. My people have exchanged, again, here it is, in the NIV, the word glory is capitalized because it's not referring necessarily to the, the, the manifestation of the presence of God. It's referring to God Himself. He's saying you've exchanged the glory, they've exchanged their glory for worthless Idols. Israel went after other gods. They chose other gods. And when God sees that, man has made his choice. God is not necessarily going to show up and help you to overcome whatever it is that is battling you and coming against you. How about we learn to put God first and say, God, you are on the throne. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to go after you. I'm going to have a heart after you like David had a heart after you. Oh God, I'm going to put you number one in my life and then watch God show up for you and on your behalf. We saw it last week. We talked a little bit about it 
where it was that the ground opened up with Korah, the presence of God, the glory of God came down even in the midst of sin, but it came down on behalf of those who were righteous, Moses and Aaron. It's God stood on behalf of those who were following him. Brothers and sisters, we have got to recognize that God desires to stand on behalf of his people, but he cannot do it. We tie his hands when we go after other things and we say, that is more important than you, God, because God you don't care enough about me. I want you to go, God cares more about you than you really comprehend. Never charge God with not caring about you. All you have to do is read John chapter 19 and you will find how much he cared about you. Whole view and picture of the crucifixion of what Jesus went through all for you. He didn't have to do that, but he did it for you. Briefly mentioned this as we were reading this passage in, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, where it was that the people elevated the ark to a status that was above God. We read that verse of Scripture. Let me try to just go back to it here, and let's just see it for a moment. I'll reread it, just this one verse uh, of Scripture. The Bible says this about it. When the ark of the Lord's covenant, or actually it says earlier, in verse 3, it says this, Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. No, it wasn't a golden calf. Remember when the people of Israel demanded while Moses was up on Mount Sinai and had been gone for so long, they said, what happened to Moses? He's gone. He's probably lost. He's dead. Who knows? Aaron, build for us a, 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 you know, a god, an idol that we can look at and worship. So Aaron fashions a golden calf and, and says, now this is the god that brought you out of Egypt. What a horrible thing. This is not the golden calf. This was something that God had designed. God had given to Moses and said, I want you to here, you know, take the ark. You've got to put the, the, the tablets of stone that I put my commandments on. Put that in there. Aaron's rod that budded. Put that in there. Put, the, put some of the bread and put the manna that was, that was kept. Put that in there as well. This, this ark was God's design. But you can never still put God's design above God. There are people today who even put ministries above God. They put churches above God. They put it all above God. Listen, brothers and sisters, it may have been God designed it may have come from God's hand but never put the thing that he made above him never ever put the thing that he designed above him he is to be worshipped he is to be depended on he is to have faith put and trust in him he is the one who is to be the object of your trust and your belief not the thing listen if we can't believe for God to do great things then I'm not really sure what we can believe if we can't believe that God is greater than our situations, our problems, our difficulties, I'm not really sure what we can believe in. Don't look. Don't trust in this building sitting here. This building sitting here does nothing for the community. It's us depending on God who will do it. It's you and me reaching out to a lost and a dying world and saying, God, you use me that will change the situation. They trusted in that box they elevated the ark to a status that was above God. Never do that. They, they did that and they were, God said, fine. You want to put that ark 
above me. You want to put that thing that is only as the Bible tells us in Hebrews, it tells us it was a picture of things in heaven. It was a picture of the way things are, but it was not the way things should be. It wasn't this ark is not, you know, it's not the thing that you go after. It's the God of the ark. They elevated it to being above God. And therefore, the glory of God departed. In one sense, it departed. In another sense, the glory of God is all around us. There are going to be people who are going to come. Samuel, a little bit later on, David, who will be anointed to be king over all Israel. There are going to be people who are going to grab onto the glory of God and say, God, your glory has got to come back down for the, the people of Israel. And it's going to happen. And it did happen. David had incredible victories over the Philistines. The Philistines almost never bested David's army. Almost never could win a battle against David because David was a man who went after God. And brothers and sisters, the glory of God may have departed on that day in one sense. But I want you to know the good news is this, that the glory of God does not have to stay away, that the glory of God can and will come back. In fact, I want there was another place in Scripture, and I'm not going to take the time to read it, but in the book of Ezekiel, in a couple of different places in Ezekiel chapter 9, then later in chapter 10, the Bible talks about, and this is Ezekiel is a prophet in the, the exile, during the time of the exile in Babylon. And the, the exile has already happened. They're already there. Ezekiel is there as well. And he prophesies and he talks about how he sees this vision of the temple, the old temple, and that the glory of God ascended from the temple and came to the threshold and actually left the place where it was. You see, the glory of God, we saw it, we read it last week, I believe it was, we read how the glory of God descended when Solomon prayed that prayer of dedication over the temple that he had built to the Lord. And the glory of God descended. But now Ezekiel sees because of the idolatry and the sin, and they're now in Babylon, the glory of God departed from that place. But the glory of God didn't stay away. It's an interesting thing that even some envision that as being the mercy of God because when the glory of God departed Israel, seemingly the glory of God was going with the people of Israel to preserve them in the land of Babylon. This is the grace and the mercy of God. God went with them. God didn't just banish them away in Babylon for 70 years and say, you know what, you guys stay there and I want you to think about the mess you've made. And I'm going to be over here. I'm not going to be with you. No, he was with them every step of the way. Otherwise, Daniel and his friends couldn't have stood their ground to follow God the way that they did. There, there wouldn't have been that remnant that came back from Babylon and inhabited the land once again and began to rebuild the temple. But brothers and sisters, when the glory of God departs, don't think it's God abandoning anybody for good because he does not do that. He will come to his people. He will minister in your situation. Maybe you feel like, well, you know what? I've failed God. Well, haven't we all? Aren't we, you know, we're, we're all as human as, as the next guy, you know? There isn't anybody in this room who walks on a cushion of air. Though I wish I would sometimes, but I can't, you know? You can't. I can't. We, we're, it's just not the way it is for us. We're not perfect. But I want you to know that even in the midst of doing other things, getting distracted, 
of allowing the enemy to kind of have control in certain situations, that the glory of God can come back, that the glory of God can be restored. In fact, we will go to the book of Ezekiel. I want you to go to Ezekiel chapter 43. Because the question might be, is the glory of God gone forever? And I'm going to tell you, no, the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Ezekiel chapter 43. The Bible, this whole chapter talks about the glory of God. It talks about the temple of God. But the Bible lets us know this, that in this chapter, it says, he said, I saw a man in verse 1, then the man brought me to the gate feast, uh, facing east, and I saw the glory of God, the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. You see, earlier he had seen the glory of God leave, but now he is seeing the glory of God doing something else, something different. Listen to what it says. We're just going to read just a few verses. I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and like the visions I had seen by the Kibar River, and I fell face down. Now listen to this, verse 4. The glory of the Lord did what? Entered the temple through the gate facing east. We're going to stop reading right there. You don't have time to read it all. But the glory of God left. But now the glory of God is coming back to the people. It's coming back to Israel. Coming back into the temple. The glory of God in that place was going to be the light of the world. It was going to be a place where people could come and they could cast their cares before the Lord. They can throw their burdens down to the Lord. And there would be the glory of God in that place that would come down in a mighty way and change them and help them and strengthen them to be the people of God. The glory of God in that time would change the whole trajectory of the people of God and how it was that they would live. I've often said this. This is a well-noted fact that after the Babylonian captivity, there is absolutely no sign or no hint of idolatry in the nation of Israel. Not one hint of it. In fact, they are so during a period of time in their history that is not accounted for in the Bible. We don't read about it in the Bible. You read about it in other in the writings of Josephus and other Jewish historians. There was, in fact, idolatry that was brought in by foreign nations and to the people of God. They wept, and it was a horrible, horrible time for them. But they didn't condone it. They didn't welcome it. They didn't like it. They didn't embrace it. They rejected it because they remembered what happened when they did that. But I want you to know that the glory of God returns. The glory glory of God comes back because in Ezekiel chapter 48 and verse 35, the Bible says this about this great and wonderful place, this wonderful city that would be that God is going to build. This is still yet to come. This is part of Ezekiel that is yet to be fulfilled even in our time. But the Bible says this in the latter part of that verse. It says, and the name of the city and, and the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there. 